So here's where we are in the book of Zechariah. God has wanted His prophet Zechariah to encourage the people to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city, to really rebuild their spiritual lives after they've come back from exile. And they have started, but there's been a lot of challenges and and a lot of things that's been happening, and it's been taking them a, a lot of time to sort of get any traction. They're about halfway through the rebuilding of the temple, And now we sort of have a hinge in the book of Zechariah that transitions us from the first six chapters, which deals with God telling the people what the coming kingdom is going to be like. And then beginning in chapter 9, next week, we're going to look at the coming king who's going to be over that kingdom, the Messiah. But tonight, God is calling upon His people to sort of a spiritual formation, if you will. Not so much reformation, but it's a call to spiritual formation. In other words, what God is saying here through the prophet Zechariah is, I'm glad you're starting to, you know, get the temple done, and I'm glad you're starting to re-engage with me, but here's the deal. There's still some things we have to talk about, because it's not going to do you any good to rebuild this temple and to make this a beautiful place for all of you to come and worship me if you're not right with me. God is more concerned about the people who come to worship Him than He is the actual place. That's just brick and mortar. It's got to go back to the hearts of the people, which we've talked about before. So God wants to spend a couple chapters here talking to the people about some things that they really need to pay attention to and address. Some of the things are are past sort of failures that their ancestors did that God doesn't want to see repeated in this generation because that's the whole reason they went into exile in the first place. But God also wants to encourage them with the plans and and the prosperity that He has uh, for the future of Israel. And He wants them to be encouraged by all of that. So that's what these two chapters are all about. Getting the people of God ready to go into the temple. And I thought, how appropriate. I mean, in a sense, this would be a great message for us right now for the next who knows how many months until we move into our facility. Because really, this is all about focusing on who we need to be as the people of God instead of focusing on the building itself. Yes, the building is great, and God wanted the building of the temple to continue. But more importantly, God wanted His people to continue to build themselves up spiritually. And the first thing I want us to see tonight is this. When God says something in His Word, He only has to say it once, and that should be enough. But when God repeats something over and over again, it's obviously for emphasis. So I want you to join me tonight as we go through these two chapters rather quickly. And I want you to count to yourself how many times this phrase is used in these two chapters. Let's begin in chapter 7. Look at verse 3. It is the phrase, the Lord who rules over all. I want you to count how many times in two chapters you see this phrase, as I pointed out. So the first one is in chapter 7, verse 3, the Lord who rules over all. Then, look at verse 4. The word of the Lord who rules over all. Look at chapter 7, verse 9. The Lord who rules over all. Then look at uh, verse 12. It's used twice in verse 12. The Lord who rules over all has sent His Spirit. The Lord who rules over all has poured out great wrath. 
The end of verse 13, the Lord who rules over all. Into chapter 8, verse 1, the Lord who rules over all. Verse 2, the Lord who rules over all says. The end of verse 3, the Lord who rules over all. The beginning of verse 4, the Lord who rules over all. Verse 6, the Lord who rules over all. The end of verse 6, the Lord who rules over all. Beginning of verse 7, the Lord who rules over all. Verse 9, the Lord who rules over all. The end of verse 9, the Lord who rules over all. The end of verse 11, the Lord who rules over all. We're almost done. Verse 14, the Lord who rules over all. Again in verse 14, the Lord who rules over all. Verse 18, the word of the Lord who rules over all. Verse 19, the Lord who rules over all. Verse 20, the Lord who rules over all. The end of verse 21, the Lord who rules over all. The end of verse 22, the Lord who rules over all. And the beginning of verse 23, the Lord who rules over what? All. All. And remember, all means all, and that's all, all means. (laughs) What has God done here? Now, how many times was that phrase used in those two chapters? You counted them. 20... 24. 24 times we went through and hit all of those phrases. What is God reminding his people of? Very first thing is this. I am the Lord who rules over all. Yes. But how does that affect us as the worshipers, as the people of God? What he is saying to us is this. My people need to keep me in my rightful place. They need to know who I am. They need to believe in who I am. They need to hope in who I am. It all goes back to who am I? I am the Lord who rules over all. I am the Lord of hosts would be another translation of that Hebrew phrase. You see, when we keep God in his rightful place in our lives, both in our individual lives and as a church, then everything else will fall in its rightful place. That's why Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. God wants his people to know he is the Lord who rules over all. In other words, there is nothing that is outside of God's control, his sovereignty, his dominion, He's in charge. He is on his throne. He always has been. He always will be. How does that affect us in our everyday life? When when we forget that he is the Lord who rules over all, we can get into big trouble even as the people of God. So the very first thing is that. Then if you go back to chapter 7, you find that at the beginning of the chapter... There are these sort of worship wars going on. There always is. Again, worship can be very divisive. And there was this group of people who they had begun to worship. God, God, even though the temple was not up, people were starting to worship the Lord again after coming back from exile. And they sent this delegation from Bethel, the house of God, down to Jerusalem to ask uh, a question from the prophets and the priests. So notice in verse 2, now the people of Bethel sent these folks down to seek the Lord's favor by asking both the priests of the temple of the Lord who rules over all and the prophets, should we weep in the fifth month, fasting as we've done over the years? You see, they were fasting as sort of a commemoration of 
why they went into exile, and then when they were released from exile. It it was a way for them to remember these things. But notice what God says through the prophet. The word of the Lord who rules over all then came to me. Speak to all the people and priests of the land as follows. When you fasted and lamented in the fifth and seventh months through all these 70 years, did you truly fast for me? For me indeed. What an indictment upon the people of God. God is saying, you come to me with all of these religious activities. You come to me with your, your, your service and your ministry and the things that you do. But are you truly doing them for me? Are you doing them to glorify me and magnify me and elevate me? Or are you doing them for you? You see, God wants us to check our motivation for why we do what we do. And many times what God is pointing out is even the people of God in serving God and ministering for Him do some things not really for Him, but for them. Even sometimes the things we do for others, we do it more for us to make us feel good about ourselves than we really do to draw attention and and glory to God. Because many times, too, the things that we do for the Lord, we do them in our own strength, we do them in our own wisdom, and so that we can get credit for it, rather than doing them in the strength and the wisdom of God, and letting God take the credit for it. And God is very direct here. He's basically saying, did you really do that for me? You fasted, that's great, if you did it for me, but did you really do it for me? It's something that all of us need to make sure that we check in our lives. And it was something that God said there. Not only do we need to keep God in His rightful place, but we always need to sort of check our motivation before the Lord and and, and ask, Lord, why am I doing this? Why do I want to do this? Am I truly doing this for you, God? Or am I doing this for me? to make me look good, to to put me out front, to to bring glory and honor to me rather than to you. That's why in our churches today, we have to be careful that, you know, it's, it's not about the skill and talent and all of that of people, but it's a demonstration of the power of God and of His Spirit that is working in us. And and too often as Christians and even in Christian ministries, you know, we can applaud, but what we're really applauding is not the God behind it all. We're We're applauding the human beings. And so God says, did you do it for me? Something else God says here. He says in verse 9 of chapter 7, that if we're doing it right, if, if we're worshiping God correctly, then one of the things that it's going to show in is our relationship with one another. You see, we can't claim to be the people of God and then treat each other like dirt, in a sense. So notice what God says in chapter 7, verse 9. The Lord who rules over all says, Exercise true judgment. Show brotherhood and compassion to each other. You must not oppress the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, or the poor, nor should anyone secretly plot evil against his fellow human being. Our 
Christian faith, our our fellowship of God, our relationship with God must show up in the way we relate and treat one another. If it doesn't, then God says it's no good. It's not accomplishing what, what it meant to because God is saying that the closer you draw to me, the closer you come to me, it also should reflect in your love and care and concern and compassion for one another. In fact, he emphasizes this again over in chapter 8. Look at verse 16. He says, these are the things you must do. Speak the truth, each of you, to one another. Practice true and righteous judgment in your courts. Do not plan evil in your hearts against one another. Do not favor a false oath. These are things that I hate, says the Lord. And they all have to do with how we're treating people. We've got to be careful that in our worship of God and in our walk with God, that as we're getting closer to God, it's also showing up in our relationships with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and our fellow human beings. Because if it doesn't, then God says, you're missing something in, in worshiping me. You're, you're missing something in, in drawing close to me. Because it should affect the way you treat each other, the way you look at each other, the way you look out for each other, the way you care for each other, the way you love each other. It should affect your relationships. And too often, again, we can come and, and we can come to the house of God and we can worship God and then we can go home and to work and to school and into our neighborhoods and community and all that and, and, and treat people very terribly and then come back and act like everything's okay. And didn't Jesus even say that if you come in the Gospels and you have a gift to offer my Heavenly Father, if you even know that there is something uh, that you have or someone has something against you, leave your gift there, make that right first, because from God's perspective, God cares about relationships. He obviously cares about our relationship with Him, but He also cares about our relationships with each other. And so that's something else God wanted them to pay attention to. And then here's the real reason why they went into exile. Verse 7 of chapter 7. Should you not have obeyed or literally listened to the words that the Lord cried out through the former prophets when Jerusalem was peacefully inhabited and her surrounding cities, the Negev and the Shephelah, were also populated? Shouldn't you have listened to God? They stopped listening to the Lord. In fact, look at verse 11. They refused to pay attention, turning away stubbornly, stopping their ears so they could not hear. These words speak about their insensitivity to the voice of God. In fact, he goes on in verse 12 to say, they made their heart as hard as a diamond. Their heart was impenetrable. God could not get through their hard heart. So they could not obey the Torah, and the other words that the Lord who rules over all had set by His Spirit through the former prophets. They were unwilling to respond to the Word and to the voice of God. And this is why they ended up in Babylon. And God is saying, you now who are starting to worship me again and you're, you're building the temple and you're one day going to come in and inhabit that temple, make sure that as the temple goes up that you are staying sensitive to my voice and sensitive to my leading and sensitive to my word. Don't allow your heart to be insensitive to my voice. 
Don't allow your heart to become impenetrable and hard. Hard-heartedness was always something God had to deal with with His people. God says, keep your heart soft. Keep it pliable. Let me be able to speak to you and you respond. So these were the things that God pointed out through the prophet Zechariah. Keep me in my rightful place. Check your motivation for why you do the things that you do. Is your fasting just truly for me? That our worship of God should also affect our relationships with others. And finally, it should obviously be seen in how we respond to the voice and the word of God. Now, because of all this, obviously they didn't end up in a good place. In fact, if you go down to verse 14, the very last verse of chapter 7, God says that you have made this fruitful land, the very last phrase of verse 14 of chapter 7, a waste, a desert devoid of life. Think about that. And, and what it is saying is, God is saying that the land itself, the, the geographical land, is actually illustrating the hearts and lives of my people. My people are devoid of spiritual life. They are dry, like a desert. They're not fruitful. They're not productive. And remember something. This land that God says now, at this time, was devoid of life, this was the same land that God told Joshua is a land flowing with milk and honey. This is a land that was fruitful. This is a land that, that, you know, they went into the land and they said, my goodness, there's grapes and figs and there's all these things. And now what has happened is the land itself has sort of deteriorated as a sign and as an illustration of what was going on spiritually with the people of God. It sort of reflects them. And God is saying, I never meant for it to be that way. I never meant for my land to look that way. I never meant, most of all, for my people to be in that desert-like condition. I always wanted my people, as we've talked about with the Holy Spirit, to be nourished and refreshed with that fountain that just wells up inside of us and where we have that spiritual nourishment constantly coming from within and where we can be this, this you know, life-giving water that flows out of us to others. So here's what God's going to do. God says, one day, things are going to change. Because I'm going to turn back to my people in a very dramatic way. And my people are going to repent. And there's going to be a change in the land. And now he's giving Zechariah this message in chapter 8 because he wants his people now to be encouraged by what is coming. Because he wants them to understand that the things that they're doing now, the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of their spiritual lives, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, will have an effect down the line from generation to generation before these days come. So notice chapter 8, verse 1. The word of the Lord who rules over all came to me as follows. The Lord who rules over all says, I am very much concerned for Zion. These words speak about the great intensity of feeling that God has for His people. Literally in the Hebrew, God is saying, I have a zealous zeal for Jerusalem. And it's not just for the place, it's for obviously the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people there. 
Do you know that God has that same zealous zeal for you and for me? He has a great intensity of feeling. He gets emotional about us. Remember we saw earlier on in the book of Zechariah, we are the apple of His eye. God has feeling when it comes to us. And that's the the motivation here of why God is going to do the things that He does because He loves us so much. Don't ever forget how much God loves you. John, beloved, how great the Father's love is for us, he says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Then he goes on to say through the prophet, Indeed, I am so concerned for her that my rage will fall on those who hurt her. Notice God is saying, I am zealous to safeguard her interests and come to her defense. And then he says this, verse 3 of chapter 8. The Lord says, I have returned to Zion and will live within Jerusalem. And then Jerusalem will be called a truthful city. The mountain of the Lord who rules over all. A holy mountain. You see, when God makes His abode in Jerusalem, the city will be radically transformed because that's what God's presence does. When God's presence falls on a person's life, when God's presence falls in a church, when God's presence falls in a group of people, they will be radically transformed because God cannot settle down there and abide there and remain there without there being transformation happening. And one of the things that God points out is very interesting. It it may not be what you and I would think of, but it it brought, I think, a a smile, if you will, to to the face of God. Verse 4. Old men and women will once more live in the plazas of Jerusalem, each one leaning on a cane because of advanced age. Notice God thinks it's okay to have old people there. And, and even sort of, you know, they, they can't get around like they used to. But God says, here's the, here's the deal. The reason why that's precious to me is because Jerusalem and that area had become so insecure and people had become so fearful that the elderly sort of backed out and were pushed out and marginalized. God says, no, when I come back, there's going to be old people there again. And then he goes on to say this. Oh, and guess what? For the same reasons, the streets of the city, verse 5, will be full of boys and girls playing. Again, for the same reason that the old people weren't out in the streets, it's the same reason why the children weren't out in the streets. There was no security. There was fear there. And God says, when I settle in, there will be such security and safety that the kids will be able to go outside and play again without fear. And the old people will be able to come out. And they will all be able to mingle together because notice something again precious about God says I love it when the old and the young come together and where they're not separated and where they can be together and see each other where the old people can see the children playing where the children can see the old people there and what's happening in their lives God says then you'll know that I dwell there what a future for God's people and then I love this verse 6 and the Lord who rules over all Though such a thing may seem too difficult in the opinion of this small community, and I think there's even something there for you and I at the Oasis, God says of those days, will it also appear difficult to me, says the Lord who rules over all? You see, so humanly impossible will this restoration of Jerusalem and its surrounding area be, it can only come to pass by the sufficiency of the Lord who rules over all. 
And God says, you all now in Zechariah's day, you're listening to this astounding transformation that's being described, and it's nothing short of miraculous. That's the only description that can be given is because you've got to understand things were still so bad now in Zechariah's day. And yet God is saying, but this is coming. And you can imagine the people going, I don't see any way how this is going to be transformed into that. And God says, is that transformation too difficult for me? Is that too hard for me? And so what God again is saying to his people, I'm the Lord who rules over all. There's nothing too hard, nothing too difficult. And one of the things that God wants to get his people to see, even now before the temple is built, is to, is to have the faith and belief and trust and confidence in a God that nothing is too hard or difficult for, and that can still do and does do miracles. Do you believe in a God of miracles today? I do. I don't believe there's anything too hard or too difficult for. There's no situation, no circumstance, nothing that that has God's hands tied to where God said, I can't deal with that, I can't work with that, I can't turn that around, I can't transform that. And God uses His own people and their own land and their own situation to prove to them, there's nothing too hard or difficult for me. I don't know where you are in your life and what's happening right now, but that's a message God wants to remind all of us. Because He wants His worshipers to come together, whether it's Wednesday nights and Sundays and even in our own individual lives every day. And He wants us to wake up with the realization that we know and serve and are connected to and have a relationship and have fellowship and communion with a Lord who rules over all. And nothing is too hard or difficult for Him. That is the very fuel of our prayers and our communication and our communion with God is that we are in touch with the God of miracles. A God who still does and wants to do miracles in our midst, in our lives, in and through His people, as we're going to see in the coming weeks. And this is the message that God wanted to get through to His people, to encourage them. Yes, to challenge them in some of the deficiencies that He saw in their lives and still saw that they needed to correct before that temple was built because they were starting to make some of the same mistakes their ancestors did that led to their exile. Fasting for all the wrong reasons, religious service and all of that for all the wrong reasons. And God says, make sure your motivation's right. Make sure it's affecting your relationships with one another. Make sure you're listening to me. Make sure that you keep me in my rightful place. Make sure that you have faith in a God that nothing is impossible or too difficult for. Because one day things are going to change. And the reason they're going to change is because I am the all-sufficient God. I am the Lord who rules over all. One couple thoughts. You'll also notice here, over in chapter 8, verse 19, that God says there's coming a day where I want to turn your fastings into feastings. The Lord who rules over all says the fast of the fourth, the fifth, the seventh, the tenth month will become joyful, happy, and pleasant feasts for the house of Judah. In fact, God actually only prescribed one fast in the Old Testament. They took that and 
They were fasting all the time. And it's not that God is against fasting, but God would rather his people feast than fast. There's times to fast. But so often, there was more fasting in in the land than there was feasting. And God says, oh, there's coming a day where the fasts are going to go and the feastings are coming. That's the future that God saw for his people. Why? Because God wanted his people to be so filled with him that all these people that he's going to bring from all these nations and people groups and tribes and stuff would literally flood in to the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem and all of that. And as he says here in Zechariah 8.23, they would grab a hold of a Jew and say, Let's go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Notice this verse. This is the future, folks. The Lord who rules over all says, In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will grab a hold or grasp a hold of, indeed grab the robe of one Jew and say, Let's go with you to the temple, for we've heard that God is with you. God is saying, I'm going to create such a hunger and thirst for me in the future, that people are going to want God. And when they find that there are people that know God in some way, they're going to grab a hold and say, will you take me to your God? Will you bring me in touch with your God? And I thought to myself, oh, that's exactly what God wants to do with us even now. God wants to build a church and create a community of believers that are so filled and so full of Him that people can notice and, and, and sense that, that we have this, you know, intimate communion and fellowship and relationship with God. And when they come to a place in life where they want God, maybe they'll grab a hold of us and say, will you bring me to your God? Because let's face it, there are many people in our life that maybe want nothing to do with God, but there comes a point in their life where there's something so overwhelming that comes into their life, some major crisis, and who do they usually call or ask for help? They don't don't call their unbelieving friends that have nothing to do with God. Who do they seek out? They seek out the Christians that they know to be praying for them and and, and to somehow bring some kind of comfort. They, They know. They know the difference. And God is saying, I want that distinctiveness, I want that difference to be so real in your life that people can see me in you. And that they know that I am with you and that I am in you and that I have filled you. And so when they are looking for me, they know who they can grab a hold of. But wow, what a testimony. To be a group of people that, that we, they were so full of God that, that people will grab a hold of and say, will you, will you tell me about God? Will you teach me about God? Will you lead me to your God? Will you help me to understand your God? Well, one other thing. There's one message, because God has sort of said, this is the way things were, and this is the way things are going to be. But God had a particular message for the people of Zechariah's day now as they rebuilt the temple. And I thought, what a great message again for you and I as we are building this facility. And what was the message? Look at it with me in chapter 8, verse 9, and then chapter 8, verse 13. The Lord who rules over all says, gather strength. 
you who are listening to the words, these words today from the mouths of the prophets who were there at the founding of the house of the Lord who rules over all so that the temple might be built. The words gather strength literally mean to grow strong or be strong. God is saying to his people, as you build this place of worship for me, as you build this place where I intersect with you, where heaven intersects with earth, where we connect with each other, grow strong, be strong as you're building it, so that when you enter it, you enter as strong people. Then notice in verse 13, the very last Uh, words of that verse. God says, do not be afraid. Instead, be strong. It's one of the common messages throughout the Bible. Joshua chapter 1, God says to Joshua many times in that chapter, be strong and courageous. Why? Because it takes strength to do the work of God. Because doing the work of God will not go unopposed. There will be challenges, there will be fights, there will be trials, there will be battles. And God is saying to His people, I'm telling you, this is the reality. That even though I'm calling you to this wonderful partnership with me and you, and and you're going to be part of building up this spiritual kingdom on earth that will one day be a physical kingdom, it's not going to be easy, friends. So God says, I need my people to grow strong. I need my people to be strong. Because it takes strong people to do the work of the Lord. It takes strong people to build a church. It does. It takes strong people to build ministries from the ground up. That's what God's looking for. So tonight, that's... I think that's our challenge, to continue to be strong and grow strong as the people of God. And that's why these last few months here at Basher are so important before we enter our our facility over there at Greenfield and Queen Creek. So that we don't wait till we get there and then go, okay, God, now we've got this wonderful facility. Now let's start growing strong and being strong. No, God wants us to hit the ground running, so to speak. God wants us to grow strong and be strong now, just as he addressed his people back there way before the temple was built. In fact, it would be two more years before the temple was finished. Two more years. And God is saying in those two years to his people, you grow strong and be strong so that when that temple is built, you enter it with strength. So that people can even grab a hold of you and say, take me to your God. Let's pray. God, we sang tonight about how great you are. We sang tonight about whom shall we fear? We we were reminded, Lord, in in our songs even, about the fact that you are the Lord who rules over all. There's no one greater or grander or more majestic than you. And God, we know you. We have a relationship with you. You call us your friends. And God, I pray tonight that this message through the prophet Zechariah that was given thousands of years ago to the people of God would be an encouragement to us here today. Because you're the same God. You haven't changed 
You're still the Lord who rules over all. And there is nothing too hard or difficult for you. So God, whatever we're thinking about, whatever we're facing, whatever we're dealing with in our life, whatever challenges even we're facing as a church in building this for you, for your glory, to call people to worship you, God, that we would recognize and realize and acknowledge that we can be as strong as we need to be in you. And through you, God, we can face every challenge, every difficulty, every obstacle that's thrown at us. You don't call us to retreat. You never call us to give up. You call us to persevere and endure in and through you. God, may that be said of us. That no matter what our spiritual enemy threw at us, no matter what the world threw at us, no matter whether, what other human beings threw at us, God, we were able to rise above it all through you. So that people could say, wow, not how great we were, but how great their God is. How awesome he is. How mighty he is. He's still a God of miracles. And God, may we believe that tonight as we pray in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here. We will see you on Sunday.